Welcome to Faith in the Zone, a show about sports and faith and how the two come together in lives being touched. Right now, discover how people in sports walk in faith with host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time, all this time, you covered me. Welcome to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. I'm Mike McGivern, fine solo this week. Pastor Ken Keltner should be back next week. Our special guest this week, he's a former Major League Baseball pitcher for the Montreal Expos and the Seattle Mariners. I think he was more of an expo. We're going to find out. He is Brian Holman. Hey, Brian, thanks a lot for a few minutes of your time. How are you doing today? Hey, buddy, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Is, is that true? It, it, deep in your heart, are you more of an expo or a mariner, do you think? You know, I think more of a mariner, even though I did come up with Montreal, and, and uh, I, I credit um, Montreal with a lot of, of my development years, and I loved the expos when I got traded to Seattle. Um, I went to the big leagues and, and spent most of my big league career in Seattle, so uh, I would probably say I'm more of a Mariner than an, than an Expo, but I love them both dearly. So, hey, we uh, we had some conversations the other day off the air, and and uh, you told me that 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 first trip with the Mariners was to County Stadium here in Milwaukee, and that was quite uh, quite a series for you guys. Well, it was. You know, we got traded. We were in San Francisco, and and Randy Johnson was in in AAA, and I was in the big leagues, and Gene Harris was in AAA. And we, we played the Giants uh, on a Saturday night. I, I got a loft on a Saturday night on a Sunday. We were in Candlestick Park, so I'm dating myself. There's, you know, Candlestick's no longer there. And uh, we we play that game, and we fly to San Diego. And I went into the um, the lobby of uh, the hotel in San Diego, and Dave Dombrowski was in the lobby, and he said he needed to talk to me. And so I went over, and he had uh, said that, that the Expos had made a trade and that I was involved and that they had traded me and uh, Gene Harris and Randy Johnson for uh, Mark Langston and a player to be named later, which ended up being Mike Campbell. And so we, we flew to Milwaukee to meet the, the Mariners uh, uh, in, in Milwaukee because they were playing the Brewers. And I remember walking in the locker room and Jim LaFever was there and, and we had uh, uh, Harold Reynolds and Omar Vizquel and Edgar Martinez and Ken Griffey Jr. and Dave Valley and, uh, Alvin Davis and we got there and uh, and Jim Lefevre literally looked at Randy and I and put a ball in our hands said you're going to pitch every fifth day and and uh, we don't care if you get your brains beat in you're you're our starter so that night unfortunately uh, they had uh, some stuff went on and they asked if I would throw out of the pen so I I come in the game that night and I threw really well and ended up Somehow, some way, uh, got a loss that night. I pitched well, but they scored a run in the in the ninth inning, and and I ended up losing. And they had you know Paul Mulder and Robin Yount and Sheffield and all those guys, and and um, so so that wasn't the exciting part. The exciting part was the next morning on Sunday morning. So we've been we've been in a Mariner uniform all of 24 hours, and here we are in Milwaukee. And I don't remember what inning it is, but it's a Sunday day game, and. And there's a play at the plate, and Dave Valley goes to tag uh, or or to to make a uh, a force out at home plate on a play, 
and Billy Spires slid up the line out of the baseline and, and took Val out and blew Val's knee out. And the next thing you know, the bench is clear and, <laughs> and uh, we're fighting and Randy and I are kind of looking at each other like, we haven't even been here 24 hours and I've got a loss and we're in a brawl already. So I'm thinking, <laughs> welcome to the American League. And that's, that's how my career with the Mariners started. Man, that's awesome. You know, that, that group of, uh, of Brewers, that was, uh, that was a heck of a team. I, I was a big uh, Robin Yout, Molitor, Gantner Cooper, that those guys, Charlie Moore, um, and we had talked about a first baseman for the Brewers, and you said a, a big lefty. Was it Greg Brock by any chance? Yeah, it was Brock. Yeah, okay. Brock. Yeah, Brock was a lefty, and then I, they had Dave Parker and all those guys too. So man, crazy. Yeah, I'll tell you if you've not seen Miller Park or been part of Miller Park, County Stadium is what I grew up on. My grandfather worked uh, at County Stadium when I was a real little kid, and he worked up in the mezzanine area and. We would get in the game, and about the third inning, we'd go up to the mezzanine, and and he would give us some popcorn or cotton candy or something and seat us in a chair that wasn't being used. And he said, "Just watch the game. I don't want to hear you. Don't 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 make any trouble. Just sit down." I was like six years old, but if I got a bag, you know, bag of popcorn or something, man, I could sit and watch baseball from the mezzanines at County Stadium, and I uh, certainly fell in love with with baseball at that point. Uh, can you still throw it a little bit? Well, I play catch every day with, you know, I do pitching lessons and, and uh, coach and, and uh, work with teams on our academy and things like that. And uh, so I play catch every day. Can I, can I throw it hard? No, but I can still get it to these two, you know, probably a hundred feet pretty easy, but um, you know, my, my arm was pretty damaged. And, um, and so, you know, I've had multiple surgeries on my shoulder and elbow. And so just to play catch with kids is all I really care about. And, um, but, but you know, it's just part of being a player, and uh, you get injured, and you got to get it fixed. And at some point in time, you just can't you can't do what you used to do anymore, and you have to make a decision and and uh, do something else. And and I, unfortunately, I had to do that at a young age. Hey, Brian, let's talk in in this segment a little bit about uh, where you grew up and and um, doing a little research for for the show. You you grew up um, in Colorado and then moved to Kansas. Is that correct? That's correct. I grew up, I, I lived in Colorado from a young age, probably fifth grade um, until uh, my junior year of high school. And then we moved to to Wichita, Kansas. And um, we had uh, we had some uh, tough struggles with, with our family. My dad was an alcoholic and we ended up making the decision to move from Colorado to Kansas just basically to try to get out of that situation. And um, I went to Aurora Hinkley High School. We had a great baseball program there and loved Colorado. And so moving to Kansas was was challenging. But it turned out to be very beneficial for my career because I was, I got, I think, a lot more exposure in Wichita at the time. I was new and, and was throwing hard as a young man. So moving to Wichita, as, as scary and hard as it was when we were young, turned out to be a really good thing for my baseball career. Well, and and looking at this, um, it looks like you 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 uh, played one year in high school ball in in Kansas, correct? That's correct. Yes. And you, that obviously very impactful because in 2007 you were inducted in the Kansas Baseball Hall of Fame with uh, Joe Carter, Bill James, and Phil Stevenson. That's a pretty good group to go in with. Yeah, I was. And and what was crazy was that you know Bill James. Uh, was the guy that really started this whole statistician thing. And right. um, he actually worked for my agents when, when I uh, was doing some stuff with the Mariners. So pretty pretty crazy that uh, that, that all came to, to fruition. 
Hey, Brian, I can't imagine the uh, the baseball coach at uh, at Wichita North High School when you walked in and, and said, hey, let me, th- <laughs> let, me, let me throw a little bit for you because I pitch a little bit in Colorado. I've been a high school basketball coach for 35, 36 years. Just once I want a 6'8 kid to walk in and say, hey, I moved to the area. Do you mind if I play for your team? Just has you not know, happened. Yeah. The funny stuff was, you know, I had gone, I had moved to, Wichita when I was a junior in high school and I spent half my year there and come to find out my high school coach in Colorado really wanted me to move back and my dad was still living there so I made the decision and it was probably not the best decision to move back and pitch my junior year in Colorado and so leaving was was not the best thing I played summer ball there and and everything but my coach was a great guy and he knew what we were going through he was an older coach and um I spent my junior year there, and then I, I played summer ball there. So he knew a little bit about me. But the funny part was was that, you know, I was throwing pretty hard as a high school um, senior. And he he came up to me and he goes, you know, uh, I know nothing about pitching. All I can tell you to do is run. Just run and run <laughs> and run and, and work out. And uh, I was, uh, you know, I played third base and shortstop, and he – he came up to me after he said that, and he said, you're, I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to like it, but you're going to become a pitcher only. He said, I've never seen a kid throw a ball as hard as you, and I don't want to put you in a position where you could potentially get hit by a ball or break an ankle or do something in the field, so you're just going to pitch. I know you don't want to hear that. But he had a lot of wisdom there, and he knew I was going to probably get drafted out of high school, and, and so he was trying to protect me. But the greatest thing about him was just that he, he – knew I was in a rough situation and he put his arm around me and said, I'm going to help you. We'll get through this. And that turned out to, to be the best thing that could happen. Boy, I, you have no idea how much I love hearing that story. I, again, as a, as a coach myself, you know, there, there are times that, especially er, early in my career, um, you know, you got to check yourself. Is it, is it more about whatever it takes to win? And, and, and if you're doing that as a coach, um, and not what's best for the player. It, it, it's uh, there's a lot of guys out there, a lot of coaches out there. Um, I think even more today than there were back then that really are utilizing players to get wins to to add to their stats. And it's a hard thing for me to to, to watch, Brian. And I see it firsthand, and with some of the stuff I do at the radio station here, and and, and I just shake my head at it. And so, th- you know what? Thank God for a coach like that who who said, "Look, this is what I think your future is. Might be the best shortstop or third baseman on the team, but we're going to take you out of there because I want you to pitch and stay healthy." Well, you know, he he had a lot of wisdom, and he was not, you know, he loved baseball, and he was an older gentleman. He was probably in his late sixties or early seventies when when I went there, and uh, he just said, you know. This, you know, kids that throw this hard don't come around very often. And he said, you have a chance to play professional baseball. And we ended up, you know, winning lots of games. I think we went 18-2 and two that year and had a great, great year. And But, you know, he taught me a lot about coaching, too. And I've coached now for 25 years. And I always tell parents and work through that you have a kid with ability. If you could mold and shape that kid, if you can encourage that kid and, and help them to love the game and not fear failure, but go out and play hard, and not worry about outcome, the outcome will take care of itself. When they can go out and play with reckless abandon when they cross the lines and play hard and not fear failure or, as a pitcher, not fear contact, then you have a kid who, who has the ability to go on and play at a, at a, at a 
can have a tremendous amount of talent and not have good work ethic and not get very high. We're talking have mediocre talent and and play hard and get much higher. Yeah, I, I agree totally with that. We're talking to Brian Holman, former Major League Baseball pitcher, the Montreal Expos, and the Seattle Mariners. Before we get to a break, you come from a uh, an unbelievable baseball family, correct? I do. Um, very fortunate. My stepfather pitched in the major leagues. Uh, I pitched in the major leagues. My brother Brad pitched in the major leagues. He's now the AAA pitching coach for the Washington Nationals. Uh, my brother Britt pitched Division One college ball. My stepbrother Chad pitched Division One college ball. My son David is in AAA with the Colorado Rockies. And my nephew Seth just finished his college career. So we, we don't talk about football at Thanksgiving. We talk no. about pitching. All, so, all, and are all, all pitchers, correct? All pitchers, yes. Wow. One of us. That, that's awesome. Hey, let's get to a break. Other side of the break, you know, Brian, um, and we had this conversation and the research that I did. You, you've uh, you've gone through some tough tough things in your life, and you know we we talk about our, our love for the Lord and we talk about our testimony, and it gets challenged. And I've we've had a number of guys on Faith in the Zone that have had the challenges in their life. I'm not sure, Brian, if we've had many with the challenges that you have faced and, 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 and have come through. And we're going to discuss that on the other side of the break. He is Brian Holman, and he's a former Major League Baseball pitcher, Montreal Expos and Seattle Mariners, and uh, he's one of the good guys out there. I can tell you that right now. We'll continue our conversation with him on the other side. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. More now of Faith in the Zone, discovering people of sports and their walk in faith. Faith in the Zone is brought to you by Brookside Baptist Church. Back with host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time, all this time, you covered me. Welcome back to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. I'm Mike McGiver, Pastor Ken Keltner from Brookside Baptist Church. Uh, we'll be back next week. Our special guest, he is Brian Holman, former Major League Baseball pitcher with the Montreal Expos, Seattle Mariners. And he now does a lot of speaking. So if if, uh, if you're encouraged and you want uh, to bring him into Milwaukee, and I'll tell you this, if he comes to Milwaukee, I'm going to get him in the batting cages and take him deep. Uh, I'm just kidding, Brian. You know that. Uh, I watched. I watched you on uh, a couple of clips. There's no chance, even today, that I could catch up to what you're throwing. Uh, you can email Brian at Brian Holman 36. Brian Holman, the number 36, at msn.com. If uh, you have any questions for Brian, any interest in bringing him in, um, hey Brian, let's talk a little bit about some of the things uh, in in your life, and, and we're going to ask first for your testimony. And, and where your walk with uh, with Jesus Christ began? So, you know, growing up in, you know, an alcoholic home and, and um, all that that implies, all of the, the craziness from, you know, being evicted from your home and, and all of the, you know, bills not getting paid and all that craziness that goes on, um, it can produce anger and bitterness and frustration. And, and I was one of those kids that baseball was my whole world and my whole life. And so... Um, I realized that, um, that I was a baseball player and that was really my 100% focus. And so 
um, I got married young and, and, uh, my wife had gone through some tough issues as a kid too. So you had two really very, um, spirited, angry, frustrated people. And so going through uh, the Meyer leagues and, and a young married couple, you know, we, we had a lot of struggles and we always believed that if we just got to the major leagues, that everything would be, everything would be fine. And so that day came, we got to the big leagues and, um, throughout the big league season, I kind of realized, you know, I've worked really hard to get to this point. Is this really all there is, you know, how much money or fame or fortune do you need to be happy? And none of that stuff was making me happy. And, and not that it was happy, just there was no joy. There was no contentment. There was no satisfaction in what I had accomplished. Really. I was just still continuing to work hard and, and do stuff and, and, and just, you know, frustrated about where I was and why things weren't better. And so um, I'd really come to the point where I thought my wife and I were probably going to get divorced at the end of the season, and it just was not working well. And so I I left to go on about a 14-day road trip. And uh, while I was gone, uh, a, a friend of uh, mine who I played with, Tim Burke, and, and uh, his wife had come over and wanted to talk to Jamie. And so when, when she talked to Jamie, she really, um, sat down. And for the first time, Jamie had opened up to her about what she had gone through as a young girl and, and was just broken. I mean, broken and, and struggling and in pain. And, and, um, so, uh, Christine shared the gospel with her and, and told her about Jesus and the bridge that, that Jesus is to, uh, to heaven. And, and Jamie uh, came to Christ that day, and and to this day, Christine Brooks says she was the easiest person she ever led the Lord, just because she needed something so bad, and she had tried everything else uh, that the world said, you know, you're going to be healed from, you know, psychiatrist to hypnosis to therapy groups and all that stuff, and nothing really ever worked. So um, I came home from this road trip and uh, was thoroughly expecting to you know, have a fight or an argument and I opened the door and she said, I'm so glad you're home and threw her arms around me and hugged and kissed me. And I'm like, who are you? I'm in the wrong place. And, um, and then she told me what she had done, that she had accepted Christ and, and, uh, was a, was a new believer. And I literally said to her at that time, I said, you've lost your mind that I want no part of this junk and I want a divorce. You know, fortunately, um, the season wasn't over, and so I just saw an unbelievable change in my wife, and I kept starting to think, you know, something's weird here. Just That just doesn't happen. Uh, people don't just wake up one day and say, I don't want to be like this and change. There's got to be there's got to be a higher power or something else. And I believed in God. I wanted, I wanted God in my life, but not really. I wanted to keep doing what I was doing. So on October 31st of 1988, I woke up and I was just in a rage. I was frustrated and mad. We were living in Montreal and things just weren't right. And um, and then Jamie shared with me that she was going to have a Bible study that day. And I was like, lovely, I'm out of here. I'm going to the mall or something. And as I started to walk out the house, I really felt this, this I don't I can't really say it's a presence. I just felt this need to stay. It was like, you need to stay and listen to this. Well, the Bible study turned out to be my wife and, and the uh, Montreal Expo's wives Bible study leader, a lady named Winnie Mariner. And they sat down at the table, and Winnie started to share with me about the gospel. 
And I could be, I was a jerk. I said, you know, um, why do I need Jesus Christ in my life? I'm a major league baseball player. I, I'm a good person. I do nice things. And she said, you know, Brian, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. There's only one way. You can't beg for it. You can't earn it. You can't steal it. You have to accept this gift. And I was like, okay, well, uh, if, if the Jews were God's chosen people, why did he allow six million of them to die in World War II? What happened to the dinosaurs? And I just start hammering her with question after question. And I wasn't real nice about it. And she was just so loving and so confident. And um, she answered every question and she backed it up with scripture. And I, what, what blew me away was how soft-spoken and how um, confident she was in what she believed. And, um, and I literally, literally said to myself, oh, my God, this is true. Now what am I going to do? And I bowed my head that day and, and asked God in my life, and that was October 31st of 1988, and um, in the big leagues, and realized that there was more to life than that, and I needed to follow God. Wow. I You know what? Uh, Winnie Mariner, you know what? There's, um, thank God for her. Yeah, and thank God that she was bold. I mean, yes. I, mean I don't say that, but here's a Major League Baseball player sitting there, and, and not probably the friendliest cat on the planet at the moment and uh and just very bold and very um confident and just shared with me and didn't push or judge or criticize just showed the love of jesus and um and the life bulb went on and i said this is true and so i accepted christ and um and then uh, the next year made the team with montreal and then obviously got traded to seattle so um Things, uh, things started hopping. So uh, it's interesting, you know, when you accept Christ, when you're a young Christian, you believe, oh, well, now I've got God in my life, and everything's going to be hunky-dory, and we're never going to have a problem, and life is going to be great. And, um, you know, you realize that Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. And, of course, you never know what, what the next day is going to hold. You know, Brian, we had uh, Pastor Daryl Strawberry on, and and. He said, look, I had everything I thought I wanted. I, I, I was a Major League Baseball player. I had all the money I needed. I had the cars, the houses, the girls, the drugs, every, everything that I thought as a young man, man, that's the pinnacle. That's what I want. And if I get all that, I'll be happy. And he said, I had all that. And I was still, I, I, I was searching. I, I was never happy. And now, you know, he said, certainly when I turned my life over to the Lord, that's, that's when it changed. And now I know what happiness is. And, and all that other stuff is just a dream. And that's what Satan has you doing, chasing dreams all the time. And it was, it's, it's really powerful to hear you say that. Look, I'm a Major League Baseball pitcher. What do I need Jesus for? And there are guys like me that, you know, never played, never played, you know, outside of the church softball league that even thought that. Like, what what are you talking about? What do I need this for? And I would go to, to Eastside Baptist Church. My wife and kids would go and I'd, you know, I'd get them in the car and I'd call my bookie and, and get ready for NFL football. And when I would go for, for Christmas or Easter, I would come home and say, why does that pastor keep looking at me all the time? And when I finally got a chance to sit with Pastor Duran, and, and I started laughing, and, and I said, you know, you looked at me all the time. He said, Mike, all the guys that have guilt, 
they all when they come to me, they all say, "Why did you look at me all the time?" <laughs> he said, "I can't." He said, "I can barely see past the Bible." Yeah. Well, I'm not yeah. looking at anybody. I'm like, yeah, "No, exactly. come on." But when he speaks to you, all of a sudden, it speaks to your heart, and he's going, oh. you're "Talking to me," and uh, and it's very convicting. Talk. And, no know, doubt. Talking. Hey, what what was it like in the locker room? That that next year before you got traded in Montreal because you were a to- you were a different guy at that point then right? Well, it's funny. You know, I know you had Andy McGaffigan on and great man. Uh, there, there were some there were some guys in my life that that uh, you know they didn't know but they were they were setting examples for me and Andy McGaffigan and Tim Burke and and uh, uh, guys in my life when I was in Montreal that were speaking into me and so the next year you know I was a very angry. Uh, when I played baseball and I, I went on the field, I would fight at the drop of a dime. I was just this crazed. Um, and it probably really started from the time I was little. You know, I would go to work with my dad and, you know, when I was a kid and be 13 years old and working with him in construction in Denver. And uh, he would he would be intoxicated by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so intoxicated he couldn't drive and, you know, couldn't do anything. And so I would have a baseball game that night and I would have to drive and rush out our traffic with my dad passed out in the car at 13 years old, white knuckling it all the way to my baseball game because I didn't want to miss my game. And oh, I'd pull man. in and my coach would see me get out of the car and he would, he would know what was going on in my life. And I would walk out and I was just frazzled. I mean, I was just angry and just scared and mad. And he would walk up to me, put his arm around me and he'd, he'd say, now you're here, you're safe. It's okay. You know, here's a Gatorade and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Go get your stuff on and and go play. And he'd say, take it out on the field. And I'd walk out on the field and I would just play like a kid possessed in everything that I did. I just wanted to take all that frustration and anger and take it out on the other team. And I did that for my you know entire career going into uh, into the big leagues. And so Andy and Tim and these guys they saw that and they they knew that um, that I needed. I needed God in my life because that was such a, I uh, was such an angry kid. And, and, uh, and then, so of course I remember when I accepted Christ in my life, um, I, dr- I was drinking at the time and, and I had no problem having a beer or two. And, and, uh, after I accepted Christ, I remember walking to the refrigerator and starting to open a beer and thinking, Oh, this is fine. You know, you know, it ruined my family and went through all this stuff. And, I started opening a beer and I just had this tremendous fear came over me. Like if I opened this beer, I was going to die. That alcohol had destroyed my family and had gone through so many hard things that I never wanted to do that to my family. And I put the beer away and never, have never had a sip of alcohol since. And the first person I called was Tim Burke and told him what I'd done and called Andy and told him what I'd done. And, and, uh, and they saw pretty, pretty quickly the difference and the change in me. And, and, uh, you know, they had a lot to do with that. Well, and before we get to to the break here, you know, we 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 thanked Winnie, but but boy, Jamie, you know, there there is something about pray for, prayerful uh, wives, and and uh, I, when I went to walked in at Eastside Baptist to talk to Pastor Daryl, um, you know, I walked in and said, "Look, I need your help," and he said, "I I knew you'd be here," and I said, "Excuse me," he said, "I didn't know when, but I knew you'd be here because your wife's been praying for you for years, and I knew that you'd come one day." And I just, I thought, man, you know what, Terry, thank you for that. And certainly, Jamie, you know, thank God for her. Well, I think God knew that I was a hard heart and a calloused. And I had to see 
basically a miracle. And, you know, God worked a miracle in, in Jamie's life. And, and I saw that firsthand and was just blown away by the change in her and, and knew that, you know, only God could do something like that, that miraculous. And I think I needed to see that in order to break down those, those walls and barriers that I had um, towards God and towards uh, the stuff I'd gone through. And, uh, and literally once I saw that, I was like, wow, you know, God can, God can heal this. He can, he can heal anything. He is uh, Brian Holman. And, and again, we, we also should thank Christy Burke. I'll tell you that. Cause that's kind of where this whole thing started. And, and uh, thank God for her to be able to go over there and talk to Jamie and, and be willing to share with her as well. He is Brian Holman, our special guest today on Faith in the Zone, former Major League Baseball pitcher, Montreal Expo, Seattle Mariners. We're going to talk, we're going to pick it up right there. There's been some things uh, that have happened um, in, in Brian's life that that uh, we're going to talk about uh, the death of, of two of his kids, and we're going to get to that on the other side of the break. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan. Welcome back to Faith in the Zone, an inside look at people in sports and their walk in faith. Faith in the Zone is brought to you by Sorens Ford of Brookfield. Here's host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time, all this time, you covered me. Welcome back to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Mike McGivern flying solo this week. Pastor Ken will be back next week. My special guest this week, and, and man, he is uh, he is powerful, Brian Holman, former Major League pitcher with the Montreal Expos and the Seattle Mariners. If uh, you have interest, bring in Brian into Milwaukee. As a, he's a motivational speaker, and uh, I've watched and listened to some of his stuff, and, and trust me, he's really good. Uh, Brian Holman 36 at msn.com is how you get a hold of him. Brian Holman, the number 36 at msn.com. If you have questions about having him come in and uh, what that would take to get him here, that's exactly how you get a hold of him. Or you can call me here at the radio station and I can get a couple of questions to him as well. Um, Brian, we, we I'd mentioned it at the end of the last segment and the end of the first segment, but but you and Jamie have gone through some really really difficult things as parents, um, and if we can certainly started with uh, with Cassidy, um, your daughter that she lost to leukemia. Uh, how old was Cassidy? Cassidy was almost eleven. Uh, she would have been eleven in October, and we lost her on July thirtieth of uh, two thousand six. Boy, oh boy. That had to be a really, really difficult time for 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 you as a couple and a family. Well, it was, and and uh, you know, I, I want to rewind a little bit to kind of give you an example of where we came through that process. You know, as a baseball player, um, after I got traded to Seattle, I was uh, I was throwing well. I was the opening day starter in 1990 for the Mariners, and I almost threw a perfect game, and I was winning games and throwing complete games. We had a good young team, and everything was going very well. And um, in 1991, at the end of the season, I went in to have a, a simple shoulder operation to clean up some stuff, and it turned out that it was a very, very severe injury. I had a major um, shoulder reconstruction done and um, started that process. So I'm looking at the potentially end of my career, and 
two and a half years later of constant rehab and, and constant work, um, I had to, I had to make the decision to retire. I just, my arm would not work anymore. And so I, you know, one moment I'm, I'm at the peak of my career and pitching great. And before you know it, you know, I'm sitting in the living room in my house in Seattle, having announced my retirement and remembering as I'm sitting there in the living room, there was, there was no big press conference. There was one reporter and one TV camera and I'm sitting there announcing my retirement. And, uh, and I remember saying at that time, if I can get through this, I can get through anything. You know, this is the hardest thing I've ever gone through to, you know, losing a career in middle did I know, um, what was going to happen. So we ended up, um, uh, being done with baseball and, and I got into the financial services industry and later joined Ronald Blue and company, which was a biblical, uh, Christian financial advisory firm. We were living in Ellensburg, Washington at the time in a, in a small town there. And, um, we were kind of in the process. We have three of our, uh, children, Scott, David, and, and, uh, Jennifer, Scott was our oldest, David's in the middle, and Jennifer was our youngest. And um, we started talking about adopting. And so we started looking at adoption, and um, we started looking at different areas, and, and Jamie began to look in, in the, to the Marshall Islands. And so we started really looking at, at, at doing an adoption. And in the middle of that, we had a, a tragedy hit. My youngest son, David, was, was snowboarding. Uh, he was eight years old and um, with his brother and, and another family. And David fell off a chairlift, and he fell 30 feet off a chairlift. And when he hit the ground, he broke his left femur in four places and broke his left wrist and arm. And he had uh, multiple internal injuries and a and a concussion. And of course, they get him off the mountain and they get him to the trauma unit and they do a CT scan. And as they do the CT scan, um, they said, "Hey, there's a spot on David's brain, and we don't know what it is, but we we need to do an MRI." And so when they did the MRI, uh, they came back out um, uh, about an hour later, and they said, uh, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Holman, we're sorry to tell you this, but David has a brain tumor. Oh, my goodness. So we were completely shocked that this, this had gone on. You know, we just, he had fallen off a chairlift, and now all of a sudden we're dealing with a brain tumor. So the plans for the adoption were put on hold, and we waited, and he had to rehab all of his broken bones and injuries. Um, which he did and never complained and went through all that process. And the tumor, uh, the doctors were fairly convinced that it was benign and that it wasn't going to grow uh, at this time. So we just, we put that on hold and they said, we'll watch it and monitor it. And if it begins to grow, then we'll, we'll make a decision whether we're going to get it out. So, so about six months later, uh, we decided to go ahead and do the adoption. David was doing well, and, and the brain tumor was stable. And so um, we we went to the Marshall Islands to adopt um, our daughter. And when we got there, um, and this is kind of how God works. It's so, it's so crazy. We get there, and the girl that we were going to adopt, the adoption fell apart. And um, we'd been there for almost two weeks, and um, we were ready to come back home. And some people said, you know, we know of this little girl who's three and a half years old, and she's been abandoned. She's living on the street. Uh, her parents are gone. Um, she's just kind of begging, would you guys be interested in her? And we said, well, of course. So they they went and got her and, and brought her to us in the hotel. And, and uh, as we opened the door, here was this little girl, and she literally looked like a puppy with mange. Her hair was like straw. She She was malnourished. Um, she had a dress on, and the dress was probably two sizes too small. 
and that was all she had to her name. She had boils on her legs and was just not very very healthy. So we brought her in and and uh, gave her a bath and fed her and started giving her antibiotics and and uh, just fell in love with this little girl and she fell in love with us and uh, we went through the adoption process and adopted her and brought her home and um, she was a happy kid for a year and a half. She was just so happy and loved her family. She picked up English immediately and and she was. She might have been Marshallese, but she was a Holman through and through. She was loud and wild and crazy and, <laughs> and loved everything and, and just, just a sweet, wonderful kid. And and, um, and uh, one day she was in preschool, and the teacher called and said, hey, uh, Cassidy has, uh, has uh, a fever, and we're probably going to send her home. So Jamie went and picked her up, and we took her to the doctor, and the doctor said, well, it's probably just the flu or something. Go ahead and take her home. And... Two days later, we couldn't get the temperature down, and I was at work, and Jamie called me and said, hey, um, Cassie's temperature is 104, so we, I ran home, and we took her to the emergency room, and they ran some tests, and um, the doctor came out, and he had that same look on his face that he had when, when he told us about David, and uh, he said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but Cassie has leukemia. So now we have a daughter with leukemia and a son with a brain tumor, and off we headed to Children's Hospital, and... And uh, the battle um, for leukemia began, and uh, months and months and months in the hospital, and um, anything that you can imagine with, with leukemia, from chemotherapy to um, you know surgeries to everything, it was just an insane time. And we had two children who were very sick, and we just buckled down and said, "We're going to do everything we can to battle through that." And um, two and a half years into her treatment. Um, we went in for an MRI with David, and they came out and told us that David's brain tumor was growing, and now he's going to have to have the brain tumor removed. So it gets crazier, oh. and they go in to do the brain tumor, and, and uh, there are complications from that. And, and the craziest thing about it, and as hard as it is, is that when you're a dad, you're sitting there trying to manage all this stuff. And um, now we have to have the brain tumor removed. And, you know, for a kid to, to think about having a brain tumor removed is a pretty scary thing. And he was uh, getting ready to have his uh, 11th birthday, and the, the surgery was set for July, and, and um, his, his birthday was on May 31st. And we went to a baseball game, and, and he was playing Little League, and I was his coach, and, and he just had a struggle of a game. You know, he, he struck out three or four times. He walked a bunch of guys. He made several errors, and you could just see the – the stress and the, and the weight of the world on this little um, 11-year-old shoulders of knowing he was going to have to have the brain tumor. And so after the game, I'm, you know, giving him the dad pep talk and we're driving home and I'm saying, you know, it's okay. Don't, you know, don't panic. Don't worry. And it's going to be fine. And just baseball. And he, he broke down in tears. He said, you know, dad, it's not baseball. I said, daddy, what if this is my last birthday? And when, the, when your son asks you that question, you know, how do you answer that? Um, I had two of my children ask me, Daddy, if this is going to be my last birthday. We went and did the surgery, and unfortunately there were complications. He had The tumor was in his right frontal lobe and his motor strip, so when they resected the tumor, he had a stroke, and he lost all of the use of his left side. His face was drooping, his left arm and hand weren't working very good in his leg. And he woke up, and he, they wheeled him out, and the first thing he said was, you know, Dad, I can't, I can't play baseball this way. And I said, well, you know, you're never going to quit. You're going to stay focused on the prize, and you're going to keep battling. And 
months and months and months of rehab he went through. And um, and he slowly began to come back. And he, about two and a half years later, was playing baseball again and, and working through high school ball as he got better and got stronger and then went to college. And, and then, um, you know, he's a tremendous story that now he's a six foot six, 230 pound right handed pitcher in the Colorado Rockies. Oh, wow. He just never quit. And that's what I love about him. And, uh, and he's a hero. And Cassidy never quit. She fight for almost six years and, and she battled until the day she took the last breath. And, um, Obviously, losing a child is the is the hardest thing that uh, a parent goes through, and and uh, it certainly was it was uh, excruciating. But you know, I I tell people all the time that God pours His grace out sometimes in a thimble, and then sometimes in a waterfall. And I can tell you through that that we experience God's grace in waterfall proportion. He is Brian Holman. Boy, uh, former Major League Baseball pitcher with uh, the Montreal Expos and the Seattle Mariners. When you get to a break, we have a short four segment, but uh, the story continues. And uh, I can tell you that um, Brian Holman is, and his wife and family have gone through more than most, and, and he's the guy getting up on the mountaintop. He's the guy saying, hey, look, trust Jesus Christ. Trust him. Walk worthy um, when you're walking. And if if Brian and his family and his wife can do this, um, you know, I'm asking, you know, buddies of mine that listen to this show, if, if there's anything you need from, from me or if uh, you're going through anything, you give me a call because I, I'm so inspired by, by Brian's story and Jamie's story that, uh, you know, I just, I, I'm just proud to, to, to be able to say that, you know, we're having this on Faith in the Zone because this is a man who is rock solid in his faith, and we'll continue on the other side. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Back to Faith in the Zone, a journey on how people in sports walk in faith. Faith in the Zone is brought to you by Fellow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Here's host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time, all this time, you covered me. Welcome back to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The Fan, Mike McGivern flying solo this week. Our special guest, Brian Holman, former Major League Baseball pitcher with the Expos and the Mariners. And uh, him and Jamie, his wife, uh, strong Christians and, and been through a lot. And, and where we left off, it, it, it continues because Brian, during all this, had uh, open heart surgery. And uh, Brian, how did you go through that? Everything went okay with that? So it's it's just crazy, you know. You're you're going through brain tumors, and you're going through leukemia, and you no know sleep, and you're working through uh, your job, and all that stuff is crazy. And then all of a sudden, you start feeling bad. And I'm working for Ronald Blue, a company at the time, and and I start getting tired. And I'm only 37 years old. Well, evidently, because of being so run down and doing all that we were doing, I got a viral infection, and it attacked my heart, and it created a leak in one of my in my mitral valve. So my mitral valve started leaking, and I ended up having to have open-heart surgery, and they, they put a titanium ring in there. So you're going through all this stuff. You're spending thousands of thousands of dollars trying to save your kids. You're, you're working through all this process. And as a financial advisor, you know, I'm, I'm t- 
telling my clients, you know, God owns it all. He owns your money, he owns your family, he owns everything. And now all of a sudden, um, this stuff is real, and I'm being tested. And I'm asking myself, do I really believe what I believe? Do I believe God owns it all? And do I believe that I'm just a steward and of my kids and money and everything else? And if I truly believe that and I trust him, it's his money anyway. They're his kids. I've got to believe that he's going to have the best interest in mind. And I have to focus and battle through that, even when my my human nature is to, you know, scream and throw tantrums and be angry and frustrated. I got to believe that God's got a bigger plan for that and, and that he owns it all anyway. And I'm, it's just on loan. And it really tested me. And I had to believe um, at that moment that I was either going to truly believe that, that I believe this or I was going to um, um, go the other way. And so those were challenging times every day, but I'm healthy now and doing okay. And, and then, um, and then we had another challenge come up with our oldest son. Yeah. With, with Scott and, and, and we do have uh, four or five minutes left and, and, and we have to talk about that. Uh, just about a year ago, um, Scott committed suicide, correct? Well, he didn't commit suicide. We don't know. He he died of an overdose. So okay. We don't know the whole process. But um, when when our family goes through all that, it affects everybody differently. And Scott was in a lot of pain and struggling and having a tough time. And you know, you you've got two two sick kids, but you have two healthy kids, and you're trying to work through that with them. And somewhere down the road, Scott just got lost and began to use drugs. And we did everything we could. We spent every dime we could trying to help him and get him through that. And it just no matter what we did, he just, he would not stop using. And we come from a highly addictive family like, like my dad was with alcohol. And so um, at some point you got to say, you know what? He belongs to God. We've done everything we can and sure. we can pray for him and help him. But at this moment, you know, he's got to, he's got to figure out and we got to, uh, he's got to want to quit. And he used drugs for a long time and battled through it. And then unfortunately last year we got a call that he had overdosed and, and passed away. So as at 30 years old, so, oh. um, you know, it, it just a tragedy and, and beyond heartbreaking and sad. And, you know, we can barely talk about it, but, um, again, I'm a firm believer that God doesn't waste pain and that God uses pain to be able to help people, to help other people. We, we know, you know, hundreds of people who, come from great families and are, are wonderful people that have had a child who's gone off and, and uh, found um, heroin or methamphetamine or something. And once they're addicted, they can't stop. And, and uh, a lot of loss in the United States due to drug overdose with, with our, with our young people. And it's a tragedy. It's an epidemic. And we, we certainly want to try to do everything we can to, to make it stop. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Hey, and and to lighten the mood at the end here, I just uh, and and I'm so sorry for for your loss with your son Scott. I, I I am, and and not to make light of that at all, but but I wanted to ask uh, one goofy question. I guess uh, if uh, if Ken Phelps walked in the in the room right now, would you shake his hand or would you yell at him? Oh, I'd shake his. I saw yeah. him uh, in Arizona. It was funny. We had a Mariner reunion, and and he walks in the room and he looks at me and he goes. Uh, when did we start batting practice? You know, yeah, around and and uh, I laughed at him. But, uh, you know, we, as, as baseball players, you know, we know that stuff happens and it's fun. And, and um, you know, coming one out away from a perfect game is, is, a, is a wonderful, wonderful memory. And, and uh, I'm probably 
now more well known for not getting it as I would have if I'd have gotten it. So that that might be the case. Ken Phelps hit a uh, home run uh, to right field, and and he was one out away from uh, from a perfect game, and and that's why I asked him about Ken Phelps. What did you throw to him, by the way? I threw him a first pitch fastball right down the middle, belt high. And the funny part was, is he's not a first pitch fastball hitter. He doesn't swing at the first pitch. And he told me later that he went up and watched the monitors and decided that because I had good stuff that night, he was going to swing at the first pitch. He didn't care what he normally did. And I threw it up there, and he happened to swing and and uh, made contact and hit it over the right field fence. And and it was the last home run he ever gave up in the or ever hit in the big leagues. Yeah, uh, was against me to break that up, and the next hitter was Ricky Henderson, and I struck Ricky Henderson out, and the game was over. So one mistake, and and it cost me. But uh, but that's okay. That was those are incredible memories. Hey Brian, I I would uh, I would ask if uh, you know in in six months or so if we might be able to reach out with you again because I didn't get to nearly as uh, much of an in depth in some of the things I wanted to. Um, you're just such a good uh, good man, and and thank you so much for for opening your life and your heart uh, to us here at Faith in the Zone. Um, I, I just really appreciate it, Brian, and I know it's difficult uh, to talk about and it's difficult to to go through some of this. If, if you want to get a hold of Brian, it's Brian Holman 36. Brian Holman, the number 36 at msn.com. Brian, again, thanks a lot and have a great day. Well, I appreciate it, brother. Thanks for having me on. You bet. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan. You've been listening to Faith in the Zone with host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner. You can hear Faith in the Zone every Sunday at 8 a.m. To find past shows, exclusive podcasts, or to contribute with an inside tip for a guest, simply go to faithinthezone.com. Faith in the Zone is an inside look at people of sports and their walk in faith. Join us again next Sunday for Faith in the Zone, right here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Was it really amazing grace? Now I know for certain, Lord, it was you that rescued me.